several years ago, in fact, back in the uh, middle 90s, I had an opportunity to go somewhere. I, I bet most of you have never heard of I asked First Service, and I was shocked how many people had never heard of this place. How many of you have ever heard of Heritage USA? How many of you have heard of Heritage USA? Not most of you. All right. How many of you have ever heard of Jim and Tammy Baker? Okay, uh, more of you. And Heritage USA was the headquarters for uh, Jim and Tammy Baker's ministry. And I'd never been there. I didn't follow their ministry much. Didn't, didn't know a lot about them or that. But after all the scandal came out and everything went bad, um, the property had really, you know, been thrown in disrepair, and it had changed hand multiple times. But it just so happens there was a, um, a youth meeting there, and I was with you know some teenagers, and so we stayed there in the lodges and all that. And I, I, was, I was shocked um, at the expansive nature of that property. It was unbelievable. There was a big, long tree-line drive-in. There were homes there, golf courses, golf course, chalet. Uh, there was a water park. There was, uh, um, there was actually, they had replicated what, what we believe that the upper room looks like where the disciples went and waited for the Holy Spirit to come. They had actually replica replicated that upper room and a lot of the um, buildings around it. Um, there, there was uh, a big conference center. There was a nine-story hotel with a big um, food court type area inside with a big big long shops and I mean it was it was unbelievable in its heyday it was the second most well attended fireworks show in the 4th of July in America only Disney World had more people coming for fireworks than Heritage USA but by the time I got there um, the property had nearly been abandoned had been neglected and it was such a weird feeling. I'd, I'd never had that feeling before that I knew of, and I'd never been anywhere like that. Uh, but uh, you could see beautiful lakes and swans and concrete walks and islands in the lakes. I mean, it was just, you could see this thing was set up to, to um, minister to a lot of people. And it did for a long time. Uh, as I was staying in one of the lodges, lodge cabin rooms, I looked across the lake and I saw a farmhouse. And I had a few hours one afternoon, so I walked over there. It was on their property. It's about a 5,000-square-foot, beautiful farmhouse, wraparound porch. I could look in the windows, and there was a grand piano in the living room. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Everything was covered with white sheets. And it was the weirdest feeling because you saw this property that had been built to minister to tens of thousands of people and now it was doing almost nothing. And it was like a, it was like a funeral. It was such a weird feeling. And, and, and the only thing I could walk away with is to say the potential of this campus was unbelievable. But it was such a sad thing to see the potential not realized. Well, how much more sad is it when we look in a person's life? who has incredible potential. How many of you ever watch um, ESPN's 30 for 30? Anybody watch the 30 for 30? I've only seen one of them, and it was so good, I said, I'm going to watch them all, and I, have, <laughs> I never got back to it. But I watched one with a guy named Marcus Dupree. Marcus Dupree, uh, the title of that episode was The Greatest Who Never Was, because he had the potential to probably be the greatest running back 
in football history. But because of, you can see the documentary, because of all the things that went on in his life, he never fulfilled his potential. But let me tell you some of the potential he had. He still holds the record to this day in the Fiesta Bowl of the most rushing yards in, the, in Fiesta Bowl history. Now you go, well, I mean, that's, that's a big achievement, but a lot of people hold records like that. But wait a minute. Let me tell you how he set the record. First off, uh, through Thanksgiving and Christmas, as you turn the corner toward your bowl game, he just let himself, he didn't exercise, he didn't work out, he gained 15 pounds, he came back to the bowl game and the coach was yelling at him like, I can't believe you let your body get in this bad shape this fast. So he wasn't even in good shape. Second, he only played two quarters. He got injured and didn't play the second half at all. Third, he was only on the field for 34 plays. He didn't have the ball 34 times, he was only on the field for 34 plays. And in half of a football game, he ran 249 yards. He was on a 500-yard pace for the game and still holds the record against people who ran the ball twice that much for four quarters. And as you watch the documentary, it's so sad and so regretful because you say, he never filled his potential. What a lonely and a regretful and a sad feeling to see someone or to look in the mirror at your own life and say, I never was able to fill my potential. So here's the question I have for you who call Kingwood Church home. Do you think Kingwood Church has fulfilled its potential? In other words, when God planted this church in this community nearly 90 years ago, have we fulfilled already everything that God wanted us to be and wanted us to do? Well, if we have, we can just kind of close the doors and go to heaven. But if we haven't, there's more to do. So a more personal question. What about you? Have you fulfilled the potential that God has put in your life? That is a very important question, and it's a very big, big question. Uh, but I want to break it down simply this morning. How do we how do we answer a question like that, and how would we fulfill our potential even if we knew what all of it was? Well, Galatians 5.25 gives us the answer, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will lead each one of us step by step, and we only grow and we only fulfill our potential as we take that step. So how do you fulfill your potential? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a gigantic question, but it actually does have a very simple answer. One step at a time. There is no place you can go. There is no experience you can have with God that's so incredible that you'll just instantly be zapped and fulfill your potential. There is no training camp. There's no boot camp. There's no conference. There's no book. There's no CD. There's no worship song. There's no work of art. There is no, there is no anything. It'll just microwave you and zap you and you'll fulfill your potential. But if you take the one step that's in front of you, you are well on your way to fulfilling your potential. So every time you take a step toward Jesus, you get closer to fulfilling your potential. At Kingwood, we call those next steps, and that connects directly with our vision. So let's look at our vision 
for the last time this month. Our vision is to become a movement of hope for Shelby County and beyond. How do we become a movement of hope? By empowering everyone to take their next step. So at Kingwood, I want to highlight three groups of people that we want to invest deeply in to help them find and take their next step so that they can fulfill their God-given potential. Number one, if you're taking notes, the next generation. Generation Z, which is about 18 or 19 years old and down, is the first post-Christian generation in American history. Every generation who's ever lived in America has been majority Christian until now. And so in the next 15 years, as this generation goes through college, gets educated, gets jobs, goes into the workforce, becomes leaders, moves into politics, you are going to see massive changes in our culture. Because most of the decisions of our culture will begin to be made by people who are not Christians. And furthermore, weren't raised in a Christian environment. So there's an all-out war over the soul of young people, and too many Christian families are drowning in a sea of activity, struggling to try to figure out how to navigate through it all. So let me give you the results of all of this mush. Two out of three young people raised in a Christian family in America today will turn away from their faith. Two out of three. Why? Why is that? Because our culture is eating our kids. It's eating them. The distraction is eating them. The things going on around is eating them. And oftentimes our kids are not anchored deeply enough that their faith will survive. So we have to empower the next generation from birth to adulthood. Because what I found is people get lost in transition. When people transition from one thing to another, from one stage to another, from one job to another, from one house to another, from one geographical location to another, from one crisis point to another, when life changes, that's oftentimes where we get lost in faith. It is also oftentimes where we become open to faith. So so there's there's a lot of fluidity there. So when kids move from kindergarten to elementary to middle school to high school to after graduation, we want every parent in our church to know what's my child's next step. Where does my three-year-old go now? Where does my elementary age child go now? Where does my middle schooler go now? We have to create a path of faith so that every young person in the next generation can know what their next step is. In children's ministry, we've already done a lot of work in this way. We just want to do more. In children's ministry, we've broken our entire children's ministry apart in small groups, so we have an adult leader over every small group uh, for every child in our church. In fifth grade, we have a leadership and discipleship ministry called Club Five that fifth graders can be a part of to help them move deeper. Right now, as we're in this room, sixth to eighth grade are having their own worship service, and many of those sixth to eighth graders are actually leading. They're playing the instruments, they're singing, they're sharing, they're taking the offering, they're they're greeting people. They're actually learning to serve and to apply their faith and engage in their faith as we're in this room. On Wednesday nights, Epic from sixth to twelfth grade, our goal in our youth ministry 
is to, is to have an, a small group, an adult small group leader that starts with sixth graders and stays with them all the way through graduation. And by the way, that has happened. It doesn't happen every time because life, life happens. But it has happened many, many times. And I can't tell you the joy that comes when you have a, a, an adult leader who's walked with a child from 6th grade to 12th grade, and they go to their graduations, and they go to their graduation parties, and they go, yay. Can you imagine the investment and the difference it makes when you have an adult leader of faith in a, in a young person's life through all of that transition and change? It's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. We also have a discipleship and leadership ministry for 10th to 12th graders called Edge that meets every Sunday night for two hours to try to build community and deeper faith. So we're taking steps in our church to empower families and to partner with families for the spiritual growth of their kids. If you're part of Kingwood and, and you're not part of our community groups yet on Facebook, we have a kids community group, a youth community group, and of course our, our church community group. And we've started an annual uh, parent breakfast in October, we'll have a breakfast for the parents of children and a breakfast for the parents. Because we're doing everything we can do to partner with you so that we can drive faith as deep as possible in that young person's life. Because they are not being raised in the environment that most of you and I were raised in. They're being raised in a different culture. They're being raised in a different America. So when an when a 18-year-old graduates high school, I can tell you because I've, I've read the stats nationally. Where's the biggest gap in almost every church in America? It's after graduation. Well, well, several years ago, we started a ministry called 20-somethings. We now have a monthly worship service for 20s. We have life groups for 20s. We have retreats for 20s. We have events for 20s. Because we want to take a person from birth all the way through early adulthood, and we want to make a, a big investment in that that those years because those are the people that we're losing in faith. In Master's Commission, we're also making a huge investment. Our Master's Commission ministry at our church allows a person to get three years of college credit, accredited college credit, in a discipleship and leadership training environment. So we want to have ministry to the next generation that's second to none. But let me tell you what I've learned, okay? That's, that's what we can do and we can keep getting better at it. But let me talk to, to all the moms and dads in the room. But if you don't echo what's, being, what's happening here in your home, you're not just going to drop your kids off to those things and not live those things out at home and at work. Most of the time, it will not work. Most of the time, a child's faith is not going to be lived out if, if there's no reinforcement and there's no standard set at home. And it's not going to work just because you go to Kingwood. It's not going to work if your kids are always in other activities and other things that are competing with their own discipleship. So, so look, let me tell you, as the Generation Z grows up, things aren't going aren't to get easier. And, and I know today it's incredibly complicated to be a parent. I think more complicated than, than any time, any other time. 
But, but you have to be able to see through the mush and say, either my child's spiritual life is the most important thing or it's not the most important thing. And if it is the most important thing, you're going to have to make a lot of... we got to pray for our parents because we we got a lot of hard decisions to make as parents. So, here, so here's what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, uh, you know, extracurricular activities and education and entertainment and sports and all that stuff just keeps encroaching upon the spaces that the church used to have. Well, the society's not built around church anymore. It's built around everything else. And so what's going to happen is Sunday's actually going to become the day when extracurricular activities are going to go higher and higher and higher and higher. It's going to be more preferable, I think, than Saturday's. Because people are going to, that are going to church are going to say, well, Saturday's the day everybody, whatever, cuts their yard, works on their house. Let's don't take that time from people. Let's take Sunday. Nobody's doing anything on Sundays. Do you see what I'm saying? And whatever, however you cut it, here's the bottom line. You're going to have to make some hard choices about your family and about what you're going to put your kids in because your kids are shaped by the environment you put them in. And you're not going to invest your kid and a variety of extracurricular activities and expect them to come back spiritual giants. It's not going to happen. What's going to happen, and I know it's going to happen because three reasons. One is all the statistics tell us it happens. The Bible tells us it happens. And I've been a pastor for several decades, and I've watched it. I don't know one family, I don't know one in the, in the four states that I've lived in, I don't know one family that has disengaged their kids from church and now the kid is spiritually better off. I don't know one. I'd, li- I'd love for you to show me one. I've never seen one. I've never met one. I don't know one. And so if faith is the most important thing, then, then in the season that's coming, we're going to have hard choices and we're going to have to live in a little bit different way. So I just want you to know as a church, we're doubling down and saying faith is the most important thing and, and our vision is to empower the next generation to live a deep faith. And my challenge to you as a pastor is going to be, come on, mom and dad, come with us and, and go on the journey with us because it is that important. Now, number two, not only do we want to help the next generation, we, we want to make a deep investment in leaders. Uh, for, for those of you who work in the business world, Do you know 50% of all businesses in America presently are not training the leaders that their business needs from within? So now that may what does that even mean? What that means is they don't have the leadership necessary for that company or business to move into the future because they're not developing them. They're expecting to get them from somewhere else. Well, guess what? Churches are worse than businesses. We don't develop leaders. You know what we say in the church? We spiritualize it. Hey, maybe God's going to send us some whatever, you know? Hey, we'll pray, and God will send us some leaders. So what we're actually expecting is somebody else to develop them, and then God to take them from them and send them to us, right? We just say it in a spiritual way. Most, most leaders, we are, at, we are in a leadership crisis in our country. We're in a leadership crisis in the church world. And not only that, we're in a leadership development crisis. What I mean by that is most leaders don't know how to grow themselves. But what's more difficult than that is most leaders don't know how to help other leaders grow. 
They don't know how to develop leadership in other people. George Barner wrote this a few years ago about this exact subject. He said, I've reached several conclusions regarding the future of the Christian church in America. The central conclusion is that the American church is dying due to a lack of strong leadership. In this time of unprecedented opportunity and plentiful resources, the church is actually losing influence. The primary reason is the lack of leadership. Nothing is more important than leadership. So if you read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts that we've been studying in, in, the, in the last two summers, you can see that God's intention for the Christian movement was, was not to be um, a movement of professionals. It was to be a movement of lay people. And, and, and the, you can't professionalize Christianity. We've tried it before. I think every century we have a new way we try it. We had Pharisees. We had this. We had that. We had Constantine that tried to uh, 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 mandate it. When you professionalize Christianity, you ruin it. It ceases to be Christianity. It's just a religion then. It's not a faith anymore. It's a religion. And so Christianity was never intended to be professionalized. It was intended to be empowering to the average person. So Christianity is not intended to be a movement of hundreds. It's intended to be a movement of millions. So in order for us as a church to become a movement of hope in Shelby County, we're going to need hundreds of leaders. Where are we going to come from? We're just going to pray that God's going to send them? We actually have to make an investment, and we have to develop them and grow them. So the simple fact is God works through leadership. Unfortunately, most of the leadership muscle in our culture isn't even being used on spiritual things. It's not being used on, on training or raising up leaders or making a spiritual impact. So we want to make a substantial investment in our church on leaders and on future leaders. So we want every leader at Kingwood to have another leader walking beside them who can help them and empower them to find and take their next step so that they might fulfill their potential. So let me, let me just um, sort of say it this way. We have already identified a hundred topics, a hundred leadership topics that every Christian leader needs to know. We've written about 60 of them. We've got them written. When we get our video studio open, we're actually going to put on film short training video modules that leaders in our church can watch on their phone anywhere in the world, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that we can begin to invest in the knowledge that a person needs to be the leader that, that God's called them to be to fulfill their potential. So just to say it simply, we want to help every leader take their next step by providing, watch this, the resources and the relationship. The person standing beside them and the right knowledge so that when you put those together, you have a dynamic explosion in a person's life where they actually begin to grow. Now here's the last category. So the next generation leaders, now this one you might laugh at because you say you're, you're just playing with us. Everyone. <laughs> you know why? If you haven't gone to heaven yet, you got a next step. You have another step. There's another thing God has left you here to do or to become, and until you do, you have not fulfilled your potential. 
So, so since we want everyone to take their next step, we actually put on our website a couple years ago, we've been building this idea. You can see it scroll uh, above me here in a minute. Um, we've got about seven or eight next steps on our website now. We want to add another six or seven that become access points, entryways to resources and relationships to help everyone fulfill their potential. So as, as you're watching those, our vision is to become a resource center to empower everyone to fulfill their potential as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a person, and as an employee, as an employer, as a Christian leader. So how do we help people take their next step? Well, I want to read Psalm 34 to you. There's this, um, there's this idea in Scripture that we see over and over and over, and I just want to show it to you in a few places. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's this idea in the Bible that we see God as the one who continually invites us to come closer to him. So basically what God says to you and I is, try it for yourself. Try me. See. Taste and see. Experience. Participate. Engage. Take a step. Be a part. And see, God is always inviting us to know him more personally. He said it this way when Jesus was on earth. He said it to the apostle Peter this way in Matthew 4, 19. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to, to fish for people. So what, what does that mean? The call to follow Jesus is the call to invite other people to follow Jesus. It's not two calls it's not some are called to this and some are called to that. The invitation to come know Jesus personally yourself is the same invitation to invite other people to come know Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says it this way. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what did he give us? When we were reconciled to Christ, at that moment, what did Jesus give us? The ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God is actually appealing to us through others, and he's actually appealing to others through us. That, that, that's how it happens. So I just want to give you a, a picture this morning. Wouldn't you agree that everyone on earth is being called by God to come closer to him. This is not a trick question. Would you agree with that? Just yes, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to trick you. God is calling everyone on earth to come closer to him. Here's the question. How does that call sound? What does it sound like? Well, we know that God speaks to the human heart. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness. We know all that. Okay? So God is speaking. Here's the problem. A lot of people can't hear God. Even some Christians can't hear God because they are distracted, they are discouraged, or they are spiritually disengaged. And so what does God do? God turns the volume up. Of course, I guess we do it like this. Now there's no knobs left. How, do, how does God turn the volume up? He sends someone like you to talk to them. And to say, hey, I've been thinking about you a lot lately, and I've been praying for you. 
have you ever done this, 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 this? And now what you have is, watch, you have God actually speaking to a person in stereo. Because what God is whispering to their heart that they're struggling to hear, now God has sent someone on the outside, so they're getting it from both sides, inside and outside at the same time. And God is inviting them to come closer to Him one step at a time. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to a person and I've said, hey, um, I've had you on my mind lately. Uh, would, would you consider being a part of this group or part of this team or going on this trip with us or whatever? Whatever the thing is. And it's so awesome how many times they say to me, you know, it's so funny that you'd ask me that. Oh, really? Tell me how funny. Like, out loud laugh funny? Like, how funny is it? It's so funny because lately I've been praying this or thinking this or feeling empty or feeling whatever it is. And when I hear that, I know that God is now speaking to them in stereo. That he is calling them, and for some reason he's used me or people, people like me or people like you to come and say that on the outside. What, what would it feel like for someone to look at you and say, I see, I see the gift of encouragement in you. Or I see the gift of leadership. Or I see hospitality. Or I see, uh, boy, you are a good organizer. Or I, when I look at you, you have such a servant's heart. What would it be like for someone to look at you and say, I see this gift in you or this strength in you. or this? Have you ever considered using it like this? How, what would that, that? That's what we need to be about in our church is creating a culture where we see the potential in a person and we invite them to take a step toward Jesus with it. So I think about it like this. I think about it as, a, I'll show you a picture of planting a seed. You know, a seed's an incredible thing if it's planted. If it's not planted, it's worthless. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything. It just dies. But all the potential for a fully functioning plant or tree that will not only produce fruit in the moment, but that plant will actually produce other seeds that will produce other plants that will actually produce a crop. All exists in that little seed. But it's got to be planted. So I want you to think about it like this. It, what we need to be a part of is, in our church is planting seeds of hope. If someone were to look at you and to call out a gift in you, to call out a strength in you, to call out an opportunity, to call out a desire they see in you, would that not be a seed of hope? Because they're inviting you to take a step toward God. L let me tell you a, a real simple way that happened in my life. When I was in high school, my principal planted a little seed in my heart. I grew up in a community that was uh, uh, lower middle class, uneducated. Uh, most people worked at a trade field, which is completely fine. Uh, but when I was called to ministry, I had no vision to go to college. My dad never graduated high school. He dropped out of school in ninth grade. My mom never went to college. Nobody in my family ever went to college. Nobody, hardly anybody. I can't name one person in my entire neighborhood that ever went to college. So I, wasn't, I just thought, God called me to preach. I don't need college. Why, why would I waste my time and money with that? Let me just go preach. You know, let me just go do what God called me to do. And my principal, no pressure, lovingly said to me, hey, I want you to consider going to college. I said, well, why? He said, don't you know that when God called you to ministry, he also called you to prepare for ministry? 
And I said, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I never heard that. Nobody ever said that to me. But, but let me show you what happened. When I got out of high school, I didn't have enough money to go to college, so, so I worked three jobs for 18 months to raise the money. I left my home. I'd never lived anywhere but the same house my entire life. I left my neighborhood. I left my home. I left everybody I knew. I went 15 hours away, 830 miles away, into a state where I knew no one. I knew no one at the college. And I lived there for four years to get education. By the way, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. And then I went from there to get a master's degree. And then before my life hit a big pile of crisis, I was actually on my way to a doctoral degree. You know why I did all that? Because somebody saw potential in me and planted a seed of hope and said, have you ever thought about doing this? I said, no, I never thought about doing that. But I did after he told me. So our vision for our church is to be a resource center that resources people and helps them and helps build a culture that plants seeds of hope in people's heart. So I just want to read the vision uh, to you, the whole vision. Our vision is to be a movement of hope for Shelby County and beyond by helping people meet God, by helping people find purpose, by living the belief that anyone can find Jesus, and by empowering everyone to take their next step. Now, as we close this morning, I just want to share one other story with you. I've got a, a personal thought I want to give you from Ezra chapter 4, verse 10. When, when the Jews um, rebelled against God, God allowed, one of the times they rebelled against God, God allowed the Babylonians to take them into slavery, and they lived there for 70 years. So here's what I want you to imagine. For the people who are 70 years old and younger had never seen their home country. They'd never seen their own land. And when they began to repent and turn their heart back to God, God restored them and he brought them back home. And the first thing they did when they got back home is they said, we can't make this mistake again. We need to make sure that worshiping God and putting God first is the number one thing. So before they built their houses, before they rebuilt the roads, before they built schools, they went back and rebuilt the temple. And they didn't even finish the whole temple. They just put the foundation in. And they, when they put the foundation in, I want to read, read for you what happened. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. So they're about, to, they're about to have a worship service. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He's good and His love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. That, that, that passage has conflicted me for years. And I don't think I've ever shared it with you. Have you ever been in an environment 
where people are singing with joy and shouting with joy and other people are crying so loud that that it twists into this uh, jumbled mess of volume that you can hear from miles away and you can't tell if it's crying or screaming or singing or shouting or you can't tell what it is it's just this mash that's weird I'm sure there are several reasons one of the reasons we know that the older Levites and priests and all that were were weeping is because they had actually been there and they had saw the the old temple and now they did the 70 years and they came back and they're seeing the new one and the new one was smaller than the older one and some of them are weeping out loud because they're they're mad they're upset they're bitter they don't like change they want it to be back the way it was it's smaller you know they don't like that some of them are weeping um, I think because they're grieving because they rem- they didn't realize how significant what they lost was until they got back to that moment and started to rebuild and went, oh my goodness, I can't believe what this journey away from God cost us. And they didn't realize it till that moment. But I, th- but I think there's one other, I think there's one other thing, okay? Have you ever, have you ever been so happy you cried? Have you ever been, have you ever had something happen in your life that was so joyful that the only way you could express it is just cry? Just weep. I think there were some of those older people that I think when they came back and they saw the temple begin to be rebuilt, they were saying, yes, this is the way that it's supposed to be. This is what should be happening. Things are coming back into order. Things are coming back into the way God wants them. And they did the whole journey. They know the price. They paid the price. And now they're back and they're just weeping and saying, yes. And you got the younger ones there who are just clapping, you know. They don't know anything about that. They're just happy. And that's great. Which which one of those two groups do you think were impacted the most? Ten years from now, there'll be people who will come to Kingwood. And they'll say, man, this is, a, this is incredible, man. This place is filled with hope. And, you know, look at this and look at that. And they'll just come in and clap and celebrate. And it'll be all. And I say, welcome to them. The more, the better. But they won't know the journey. They won't know the journey. While they're standing and clapping, some of you will be crying for joy. Because they took the journey. Some of you will be weeping with joy because you'll say, you don't know, you aren't here, you don't remember, you don't know when it looked like this wasn't going to happen, you don't know what we went through, you don't know the price we paid. Look, there'll come a day that we'll have so many people that want to be baptized that it'll take the whole service. And when that happens, there will be people who will come to Kingwood for the first time to see it, and they'll clap, and they'll smile, and it'll be so good. But you know what? Some of you on that day, you will stand with tears of joy. And you will weep. And do you know why? 
because you took the journey. Let, let me tell you what this whole vision's about. It's not about January 1st of 2030 or January 1st of 2025. It's not, about, it's not about being a movement of hope. That's not the thing. The thing is what is it going to take for us to become a movement of hope? The journey is where change comes. The journey is where meaning is. Look, that moment when that foundation was laid in the temple, that moment when we have water baptism or whatever that moment is for us, I don't know what it will be, but whatever that moment is, that's not the moment that's going to change us. That's the moment where we're going to realize how much we've been changed. That's the moment that the journey, we understand the meaning of the journey. And we say, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I was part of it. I, I, don't, I don't know. Kingwood Church has had such an unusual legacy of long-tenured leadership. It's, it's probably in our culture to take that for granted, and I probably take that for granted. So maybe what I'm about to say is going to sound like, yeah, whatever, we already knew that. But I hope that you won't take it for granted. My, my intention is to finish my pastoral ministry here at this church. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to be a pastor anywhere else. So what I'm saying to you is, I want to give every day of every year of the rest of my pastoral life to help make this church become a movement of hope. Now, today, I don't have, I don't have a commitment card for you. Hey, sign this and you know, pledge that you're going to do whatever. I don't have, we're not going to take an offering. I don't have a, hey, if you'll just give a little bit more, you know, we'll be able to do a little bit more. I don't have any of that. Here's all I have to give you today. All I have to give you is my heart. That's all I have. And all I have to give you is the fact that I'm going to go all in. And I'm going to give everything I have, and I'm going to do everything I can. And my, my invitation to you, my challenge to you is do the journey. You do the journey. You go on the journey with us. And, my, and, and if God is inviting you to that, now we're speaking in stereo. And if God's calling you to the journey, here's all I can say to you is, it will be worth it. And it's not because it's this church, it's because it's one church. Plant yourself in one church and do the journey. Do the journey. And as I look around the room this morning, I, I, could, I could create a line in this church from here to Mobile of people who've done the journey through certain seasons of the church, and I guarantee you every one of them would look at you and say, we'd do it again. Right? Is that right? We'd do it again. It's worth it. And I mean, I, I don't even want to start naming because it's everywhere. So my challenge to you is, if you have children, man, get them as involved as you can. If you have teenagers, get them as involved as you can. If you haven't found your gift yet, let us help you find your gift and serve. If you're not in a group yet, let us help you find a group. If you've never been on a missions trip, get on a missions trip. If you haven't been baptized yet, let, whatever. Whatever the next step is, man, take the step and do the journey. 
Because the meaning is not on the day when we have some big celebration. We will have people who hadn't been to Kingwood in 10 years, but the day we celebrate something, they'll all come and celebrate. And you know what? Their life won't change much at all. But those of you who stand and weep for joy, I promise you, you'll know a richer life and your life will change more than you could imagine because of the journey. So, that's my invitation. Do the journey. Today ends our vision series. But today starts the vision. So for the next 10 years, the next few months, the next few weeks, we're going to keep talking about how do we become a movement of hope? You know why we're going to talk about it? Because 50 leaders in this church believe it's God's will for our church. If it's God's will for our church, what else should we work on? It's what we have to work on. We believe it to be His plan. So would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I just want to end here. Part of our vision is to help people meet God. And some of you today need to meet God. I don't mean you need to become a Christian. Maybe you do. And if you do, we want to pray with you. But most of you are already Christians, but you need to meet God. And if you're honest, you sat there today and said, man, I'm excited and I love this. But if I'm being honest, I'm hurting today. My life hurts. You know what kind of church we want to be? We want to be the kind of church where some people sing and some people shout and some people cry. I've been in, I've been in this room many times. You couldn't see it on my face. I don't think you could. But in my heart, I was crying because I was hurting. I was hurting bad. I was dying inside. Because life hurts. So I, I don't want to pretend. Our vision isn't some program. It's not some how slick can we be. Man, it's about life. And there's always room at this church for you to hurt and for you to be honest about it and for you to have encouragement. Always. And so today, I want to ask you if you'll close your eyes. And some of you today... You're, maybe you're sick and you need healing. Maybe you have a circumstance that's hurting. Maybe there's a relationship hurting. Something's going on in your heart right now. And if you're honest, you, you just would say, I didn't want to say anything, you know, because it's vision day. But I'm hurting. And I, and I need God's help. I need God's help today. With every eye closed, if you need God's help today, would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me today because I need God's help just lift it up I need God's help those of you who lifted your hand you're what this church is for I'm going to begin to pray and as I do whether you, whether you lifted your hand or not but you need prayer I just want you to slide out toward one of our prayer team and we want to minister to you today we want to encourage you and we want you to leave better than you came Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you draw every person who needs your help. Draw every person. Every person that you're speaking. Now we're speaking in stereo. I'm saying out loud what you've been saying in their heart, and now they're hearing it, maybe for the first time. So Holy Spirit, I pray you draw right now. Come on, as I'm praying, I want you to come. 
Lord, I pray you draw this morning. Just begin to meet people in your presence. Meet people with your power. Meet people with grace and help. Lord, meet, meet people today and begin to change circumstances. Begin to change lives. Begin to surround with your presence and let a moment of grace and a moment of hope flow. As the worship team begins to sing this song, I, I want you to come for prayer if you need prayer. And, and even if you don't, I want you to sing this song with us. Lord, we need you today. Come on and sing it today. Lord, I receive today. today. We receive today. Come on and just open your heart up. Lord, we receive today. God, whatever you have, whatever my next step is, whatever you want to do, God, I'm open to you. Just open your heart. Lord, I receive from you today.